Welcome closers. Today we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. Season one, focused on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actionable insights to help you grow your property management empire. Whether you manage a hundred or a thousand doors, this is the show that's going to help you see the big picture and get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today, I am talking with Ryan Hanley, the Senior Vice President of Marketing at TrustedChoice.com and author of Content Warfare, a book that will help you find your audience, tell your story, and win the battle for attention online. In our chat, we're going to dive into how Ryan uses content marketing to help small businesses stand out in a very, very crowded online place. Let's jump in. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Jordan, it's my pleasure to be here, man. I'm super stoked to have you on. And Ryan, I just want to start here. Ryan, tell me, how did you end up as a prolific content marketing thought leader by night who helps insurance agents get better by day? How'd you wind up there, man? Yeah, that's that's a good story. Um, I will fast forward to the part where I'm like done the corporate thing for a few years after college, couldn't really figure it out, like pretty classic story. And my father-in-law, uh, or soon-to-be father-in-law at the time, owned an independent insurance agency. And I'm living in New York City with my then girlfriend, who's now my wife. You know, it wasn't clicking for us. New York City's awesome, but um, it just it just wasn't working. And and we wanted to move home. We were both from the same hometown. And I think her father-in-law, my father-in-law kind of saw the writing on the wall and uh, didn't want his daughter to be married to a bum. So he kind of sits me down in his big high leather back chairs, like no joke, like right out of a movie. And he kind of says you're coming to work for me. Like, I'm going to teach you how to sell insurance and you can make a good living and all this stuff. So I did that. I said, yes, obviously. I was terrible at it. I just hated every part of the classic insurance funnel to sale, prospecting, all of it. I just, I hate, I felt like I was interrupting people. I hated cold calling. I hated doing drop-ins. I just, it was a weakness of mine, but I, I couldn't get past it. I was really struggling. I stumbled on... Uh, LinkedIn. I, I realized that there were a bunch of people that I really wanted to do business with who were using LinkedIn. And, and this is like 2008, 2009. So I dove into LinkedIn, started to get a feel for, um, for, for what social media was. I mean, at this time it's in its infancy f- for the most part and realized right away that uh, people who created content won attention. It's just that's absolutely the way it was. You could be there and that's fine, but it essentially did nothing for you. And you had to be creating something. Over the course of the next, call it five or six years, I just started creating content for this little single location independent insurance agency in upstate New York um, and just started absolutely killing it. Um, the day that I left that agency, uh, and, the, and even though I was doing well, I left mostly because there wasn't really anywhere for me to go. You know, it's kind of like that was the rest of my life was creating videos for a single location independent agency, which would have been fine. But I wanted something a little more. But uh, the day that I left, I was generating 90 inbound opportunities a month and closing 65 of them on average. And in the insurance space, that's those are pretty big numbers. Um, you know, I was doing... 100,000 in new business premium a month. 
it, it just was it was it was pretty big. So how did the other agents in the office relate to what you were doing at that time and the and the results? They thought I was nuts. And uh, even when I was doing well, they thought I was nuts because uh, it just wasn't it's not the culture. And you should, now today, here fast forward eight years, nine years, whatever. Or, well, I guess four years from the day I left. But uh, the culture has started to change in the insurance industry, just like it has in, in just about every industry. But at the time, it was this doesn't work in our industry. This is a face to face business. People want to come in and sit across the desk from me and and all this nonsense that I, I shouldn't say nonsense. Those things are necessarily not true. Um, it's just becoming less true for more people every day, if that makes sense, right? There was a day when the only way you could transact business in the insurance industry was face to face, you know, hand, you know, handshake, you know, you're covered, you know, whatever. But that population of people of insurance consumers or consumers in any industry really that want that in-person analog process and are willing to accept that is becoming smaller. So it's not that they don't want the relationship. They just want a different kind of relationship, a relationship that weaves digital throughout uh, throughout the process, specifically in, in certain aspects of the customer experience. And those pieces are a little different from every industry, but the point is people want to be able to do things online. And more importantly, and, and this is uh, especially important for people who are in the prospecting phase uh, of any business line, they want to research you. And that's what I was allowing them to do, which uh, certainly in my geographic area, but essentially for the industry, no one had really ever done before, was create a digital, you know, kind of frequently asked questions section of my website through video that just anyone could come in and get to know me and, and get their questions answered before they ever had to pick up the phone and go through that process of talking to me. They got to do hours worth of research on me, as much as they felt they needed, and uh, and that was my competitive advantage, and 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 what ended up being the thing that that catapulted my career. Ryan, what is digital marketing? What is online marketing a, a proxy for? You just talked about the research phase. What need is that meeting? What are people getting out of being able to do all this on their own? Is it the fact that they're fundamentally uncomfortable being in a sales type position? Is it about de-risking things? Because it can't just be about time, right? People are willing to commit quite a bit of time to doing the effort in that research phase. Like what need is being, what itch is being scratched there? That's a really good question, and I think it's it, I think it's a couple things. So the the first part of it, it is time, but it's comfortable time versus uncomfortable time, right? So you're you're a salesperson for for anything um, that is you know in essence the the gatekeeper to the thing that I need. Spending time with you on the phone, one, I know you're biased. Two, it's uncomfortable because I know that your end game, your agenda is to sell me something, right? So I don't want to, sp I want to spend the least amount of time that I have to in that space because I'm on guard. Where if I'm watching a video that you did, and, and granted, you're going to put your sales pitch in, you're going to put your little bit of bias in, but I get to do that on my own terms. And I can do it at 10 o'clock at night. I can do it for five minutes during my lunch break. I can do it whenever, right? I'm checked out at a conference call and I pop up, you know, whatever I'm looking for. That's comfortable time. That's, it feels like they're in control of that process. Very, very important. The other piece is the research phase. And there was a time when we were, regardless of your industry, whether it's property management, insurance, banking, 
buying cars, right? I mean, think about how much the car buying process is different today. I mean, essentially you go to buy a car and you know more about the car than the 22 year old that walks out to sell it to you. And that wasn't always the case. It used to be that you had to go to the lot and spend hours with, with the guy on the lot talking up the cars and, you know, is it a lemon? Is it not? Why is he pushing this car over that car? And you didn't know. And now you go to CarMax and you're like, okay, I want the, the yellow one that has this VIN number. I know it's got 33,000 miles. If you show me one with 46, I know that's not the right car. I mean, that whole process has empowered the insurance consumer and that's what, or the consumer in general, and particularly the insurance consumer in my case. And, and that, that has changed the dynamic and, and given that power to the consumer so that when they come to the transaction, they feel like they're on equal footing. I think done correctly, it sets up the... The business, again, whether it's property management, insurance, banking, the industry doesn't matter. It sets the business up to build a deeper relationship faster because that person comes into the transaction feeling like they're on equal footing with you. And and that is a completely different place than when they're coming in naive, worried they're going to get sold something, and you're trying to convince them you're a good guy or, or, or a good gal. Um, so so – it really is an equalizing force that can help grease the relationship um, and, and build that relationship faster. Wow. I couldn't agree more. Really well said, man. And as you said, that applies to a variety of industries. And so I want to dive into the last section or, or portion of this podcast. We're actually going to talk about insurance. And the reason is that I want to kind of frame what we're doing here. What we're talking about is the cross application of concepts that apply to businesses that have consumers, regardless of industry. I'm all about the cross application of knowledge. And in this case, you happen to work in the ins insurance industry. And I do think that that is more germane to property management than other industries in the sense that what, first off, do you consider it B2B or B2C? It's H to H, always. <laughs> H to human to human, baby. Okay, I feel you on that. I feel you on that. Nonetheless. I'm completely bought into that buzzword. <laughs> I can't help myself. I think it's the truth. And actually, it's funny. You know, I and I know that's like a super buzzy, like almost like make you want to gag a little bit term, even though it's true. But the deeper I get into content marketing, the more I realize that you're always speaking to a human even if it is, even if they're wearing a name badge that says some corporation, they're, it, you're always talking to a human. It always comes down to some, you know, I mean, I, I was, I was talking to an insurance carrier, 10,000 people, uh, fortune 500 company, we're, we're, we're putting together a big project with them and the decision maker, it, you see all the same emotion driven buying signals that you see when a young couple comes to look at the house that you're trying to rent. Right. So like it's all the same emotional triggers are there. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, behind the corporate veil or in front of it, or if it's just somebody walking in off the street to take a look at your two family, like that, th that though, all those same emotional triggers are there. So when you're marketing, it really is. If you're, if you talk to humans, it's so much better than trying to break it up B to B, B to C. But at the top level, when you're thinking strategically, um, you have to think about the humans that you're trying to reach. So I'm with you on that. Nonetheless, we can't acknowledge there is such a difference between high touch, low touch, simple sale, complex sale, the number of stakeholders, uh, sales cycle time, volume of the transaction, et cetera. And in that sense, insurance and property management are somewhat similar. So 
Frame the industry for me. How, in a nutshell, what does the independent insurance agent space uh, look like? How does it work? And what industry forces are creating pressure on the smaller independent players? Ooh. Jeez, this is my my sweet spot here. Um, so the independent insurance agency space is actually approximately 37,000 independent businesses located throughout the United States. You've driven by them. You've seen them. Some are digital. Some are old school analog. They, they're a wide ranging group in terms of how they do business. But essentially, the difference between an independent agent, a captive agent, and a direct is Geico goes directly from the insurance carrier, the person who holds the paper, who actually creates the contract, goes directly from the from the carrier to the consumer. State Farm goes through an agent who's the guy or gal you see in the State Farm agency, but that agent only has access to State Farm. They can only write State Farm paper. So captive being they only have the one. Independent agents are able to contract with as many carriers as they want. They can choose to not write with carriers anymore. They can choose to write carrier. They can choose to add carriers. They can do all kinds of different relationships with managing general agents, which essentially gives them access to a whole nother world of, of carriers. And in, in that world, there's thousands of, of carriers that if you go into the niche spaces. So the the challenge that independent agencies have today and what they're coming up against is that their value proposition was always local, right? I'm your local guy. And it's a, I say guy because it is a, it's about 87% male when you look at who owns insurance agencies. So these guys always marketed their agencies based on local and they based it on face-to-face relationship business. And for about a hundred years, they literally had the market cornered and uh, incredibly successful. It's like the original lifestyle business. All these idiots you see with taking Instagram pictures of like umbrellas and their drinks down in Mexico, like selling you an online course, that lifestyle business that they're trying to portray, independent insurance agents have been doing that for a hundred years. So their success has created complacency in this last, say, 15 years of technology revolution. And what they're currently butting up against is how do we take our value proposition of relationship, 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 and move that into the digital space when the average age of an independent insurance agency owner is 56 years old and they're making, just call it between 300 and 500,000 in personal income. Um, how do you tell that guy that he needs to start blogging or he's going to go out of business in five years? It's a really hard transition for a lot of these businesses to make. It's very emotional, um, but many of them are starting to do it. And the ones that are, are able to compete against any of the players, including the Geico's and the State Farms and, and the other directs and captives who, who are their direct competition because the value proposition is better. It's just that they're working with an SMB's budget, right? They're just small businesses. They, you know, seven to 12 employees working in a single location and they have to compete with the gecko on TV. So what I try to do in my work at trustedchoice.com and, uh, and our, our actual marketing, our, our educational kind of media platform is agencynation.com. If anyone ever wants to check that out, what we try to teach there is how do you become, how do you out market? How do you out storytell in the digital space with an SMB's budget on your, in your local marketplace against these major competitors and the, uh, 
the the truth is we win uh, an independent insurance agent will win every time it just takes work and a lot of cultural changes inside the agency so it's a lot of just legacy stuff and um, I don't know if any of that is relevant to your audience but um, a lot of that is relevant man okay. here's my here's some obvious parallels first off the recurring revenue nature of the business and property management you're managing a portfolio of doors and it's recurring revenue so growth is a fantastic exciting idea but if you don't you still have a great revenue stream so the complacency factor is there. There is some churn, some sell-off, but there's a lot of opportunity to ride and coast. It's absolutely geographic because real estate inherently is highly fragmented by nature. There's a lot of bigger players coming into the space. They're assessing the value of the recurring revenue nature of owning a portfolio. They're realizing it's undervalued and they're putting capital in this industry. Consolidations, roll-up plays, tech-based companies that are effectively SaaS first, service second that are coming in. All that stuff is happening and the small businesses, the small players, mom and pop shops are trying to figure out how do I not only maintain this great lifestyle I've had, but how do I actually grow in a progressive way that's accessible? Because when people like me and you that have a certain set of expectations, it's grounded in just general uh, business thinking and, and kind of what's popular, et cetera, go to a small business and say, oh, you're thinking about doing SEO, you know? And somebody says, well, what should I spend on SEO? And my kind of gut response would be, well, you know, a good SEO campaign, if you want to fully outsource it, that would probably start at around $3,000 a month to find a, a reputable company. Nobody that I talk to ever says, yeah, that sounds totally reasonable. I think I'll jump on that tomorrow. The expectations of going from a referral-based business to now doing either paid or dedicated digital online marketing can be staggering if you're going from doing nothing to looking at outsourcing it. So people want to do something in the middle, but they don't know what, and they're very, very intimidated. That leads to my next question, Ryan. Where should a small business start marketing? So if you're the property management space or an independent insurance agency, the very first thing that I tell them to do is you got to get your website squared. That does not mean SEO. So we're not even talking about a full search engine optimization campaign. You have to have something that when a, when a, when a consumer finds you is a positive, understandable, clean representation of you and your business. Right, because we're making snap decisions. The people that are that are renting properties today, they grew up with the back button, man. So when they hit a, a website and it doesn't look like it can serve their needs, back. I know the next Google search has a chance to be just as uh, successful as this one. So the first thing they see, it it just has to it just has to be a clean representation, and you can do that for two grand or less. And and now it's a real property, right? And and. You know, if you want to get super technical, you can even depreciate your website as a real asset. At least your URL, you can. There's ways that you can create this thing that's just clean and simple, and and just make it nice. I mean, if you're talking very basics, just have a nice thing for someone to go to, so you seem legit. I mean, how many times did you surf to? Have you surfed to your to a local business and? You're like, as soon as you see the website, you're like, nah, oh, geez. I did this with a with a pet groomer the other day. I have we have a, a Wheaton Terrier and she's got real hair. So you have to get it cut. And we had trouble with our with our pet groomer. She hurt her back and she couldn't lift our 35-pound dog. Whatever. It doesn't matter. So, but I didn't have another recommendation. So I did I literally in the moment when I got the call that she couldn't help me, I went, Pet Groomers, Albany, New York. That's where I live. 
and I popped a bunch of websites. And the first one I went to, I was like, I'm not, I'm not taking my dog there. Okay. What about the next one? Jeez. Well, that doesn't look nice either. So then I went to Facebook and I said, who knows a good pet groomer? Okay. So number one is just have a nice clean website, just something nice and clean that you can send somebody to. You meet them in the street and you're like, Hey, just go check out my website, man. It's got all my properties on it. Hey, just go check out my website. You can learn more. It's where it's everything's at. You're going to say that so many times in your life. That place has to be clean. It's like, it's like inviting people over for dinner and your house is disgusting and you're a hoarder and it smells. They're going to be like, man, I'm not coming over for dinner again. I'm not going to do that. Even if you make the best, the best, you know, ZD in the entire world. I don't know why I pick ZD. I'm not coming over again because your house stinks. So that's super simple. It's very clean. It's something that can last for at least a couple of years and just clean, easy, a nice website to go to. So you started off with the website. The follow-up question is, what about if I'm a non-discriminating consumer? I do not know what it means to design a clean-looking website. I'm, I'm going to the mechanic and being told that I need more blinker fluid, and I'm gladly paying money because I know nothing about cars. That's a common issue. But before you answer that, I want to back up and talk about, even before you start any of the marketing, identifying who your target customer is. And before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about our show sponsor, the PM Grow Summit, which is a conference designed to help property management entrepreneurs level up their sales and marketing game. If you want to go pro, if you want to stand out, if you want to be surrounded by best-in-class entrepreneurs and stay on the bleeding edge of the industry, this is the place to be. It's going on in 2018, end of January. Find out more at pmgrowsummit.com. Ryan, I know that you're all about professional education. You just put on your own conference. Tell me what you got out of it as the person that, that put it on and why that was a, a good investment of your time and effort to put on a conference, which we both know is a lot of work. Yeah. So two things. First, exposing the audience to speakers that they normally wouldn't have access to. So one of the things that we did at our conference is I paid most conferences. They pay for you like one hotel night for the speakers. I said to my speakers, you come in, I'll pay for as many days as you want to be part of the conference just to have them around. So just getting them access to those thought leaders is one that's cool. But the more important thing is getting them to bump into each other. Cause what's going to happen is you come to a conference like this, everyone there paid to be in that place. They're all looking for the same thing. So you're just going to bump into someone when you're grabbing a cookie in the afternoon break and, and they're going to ta start talking to you about some issue that they're having with their property. And you're going to say to yourself, I've solved that problem. Hey man, have you ever thought about this or did you do this? Or man, I called this company over here or, or whatever, or maybe it's going to be the opposite role. They're going to start talking about something they just figured out. And that's going to be a problem that you have as well. And there is a serendipity to putting yourself in that place that you have to believe in. And if you do, you get so much out of it. So uh, I'm a firm believer in serendipity, but it doesn't happen. Uh, you have to put yourself in those situations and, and going to conferences uh, like this are, are, are the way to do that. I couldn't agree more. I was this close to attending the Trusted Choice conference. Some dates and logistics stuff came up that prevented me, but I really wanted to be there because, again, all about the cross-application of knowledge and information. Going back to the question I asked you about where should somebody start, back up one level. Talk to me about the importance of identifying your target customer. Talk to me about personas, avatars. A lot of these things sound like a waste of time and meta work. Is it worth it to spend a lot of time identifying my target customer? And if so, how does that tangibly impact my day-to-day -day marketing? 
Yeah. Before I answer that, you asked a question. The very first question that you asked was, uh, how do you know who a good service provider is? You listen to podcasts like this and you go to conferences like the one you put on. That's how you meet the people that you're going to trust that will recommend you to the people they've worked with that, that have helped them do a good job. So I'm with you. I wouldn't just blindly walk into a relationship with a service provider. But again, by putting yourself, by listening to shows like this, by listening to other marketing shows, if that's what you're looking for or interested in or, or going to conferences, um, that's where you meet the people that are going to help you find the service providers that you can trust and are going to do a good job for you. So it will grease the wheels. It will help things move faster if you surround yourself with these people because they'll help you find the people that do a good job. So uh, avatars and personas. I'm going to be a bad marketer here and say that um, I, re I really struggle with persona work only because um, people are so friggin' dynamic and crazy. And I know that it's like structured Steve who wants every, you know, and I tend personally to think in mindsets and uh, a writing down who those, what those mindsets are tends to help me doing full blown out persona writing down and coming up with a, a stock photo that looks like the type of person you want to. I mean, maybe if you're super, super type a anal and you need that, maybe that works. So to do it, but you, but to answer your question, you, you can't go into this blindly. Right? So I know when I create content for, uh, we'll call it agency nation. So I'm speaking to the insurance industry in this case, the voice that I use in that framework is casual. It's fast. It's, uh, youthful, not necessarily to, to young people, but the, the tone is, is youthful. So I'm using words from my generation, like, you know, I, I, I reference nineties gangster rap all the time, stuff like that. And I know that a stodgy 65 year old white guy from, you know, Georgia, who's own, who owns three agencies and, and, you know, doesn't, doesn't want to come down to that level. I know that he's not going to, and he's going to be turned, you know, he's going to be turned off or he's just not going to tune in. And I'm completely okay with that because that guy is not my target market. My target market is call it 25 to 45 year old agency owners and young producers who are looking at their situation going, I have 20 more years in this industry. And if I don't turn around how I'm operating, I am not going to make it those 20 years. Those people who are hungry to push and grow and aren't sitting on 500,000 in personal income every year. Those are the people who resonate with my message. Now that's not to say that I don't get some of the other group who are just kind of just wired to always be in growth mode or, or just love this stuff or very competitive. You know, I get those people too, but my target market is that mindset of I'm going to lean into everything that's going to help me be part of this industry for 20 more years and be a successful part. So I have that in my mind all the time. Now I've worked on that for so long that I don't need to think about it anymore. It just comes naturally when I'm creating, but if you're doing this for the first time, it definitely makes sense to create content or whatever you're doing, thinking as if a person is sitting across a desk. So that's how I started. I started with, I'm speaking to my sister who's 27 years old, who still rents, um, owns a car, but does, has like two or three like small jobs, hasn't really found her career yet. Like I'm writing this for her. So is, is your car covered if you're parked in your rentals garage, right? You know, I mean, whatever. I'm just coming up with it with a quick example. So 
when I used to create, when I first started, I always had someone in mind when I was creating, but I, I never did persona work. Maybe that was a really long-winded way of saying don't. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. I, you know, I said persona. Persona work is just a proxy for, for really being serious about knowing who you're talking about. You're talking about the perspective of saying you'd rather have one person that is balls out, 100% engaged with what you're saying as opposed to 100 people that are commonly meh, nominally so-so engaged with what you're talking about. And that makes sense to me. Let's transition this to just the content marketing piece. What is the threshold to get in the game with content marketing? I think about this with content. I think about this with social. It, it seems to me like there's a certain threshold of care or effort that you need to be willing and committed to exerting to even make the effort worthwhile. If so, do you agree? And if so, what, is that, what does that threshold look like? So I will start with the very awful caveat of something is better than nothing. But if I'm being honest with you, one of my number one bullshit meters for thought leaders or master gurus in the marketing space is like, you can write one post a week. And no, that's nonsense. If you're not blogging two to three times a week, creating video, if you're not fully engaged in this, if this has not become a culture of your business, you're going to struggle, right? So there's this escape velocity that you have to hit. Now, I don't think you have to do that forever. So this is what I found is that max effort for, call it six to nine months, completely generic. It could be three months. It could be a year and a half. Who the heck knows, right? But you, you put in max effort for a substantial but given period of time. You can tailor off. You certainly can. It's not like you have to pin it like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, for the rest of your life. That, that doesn't have to be what it is. Um, and I'll tell you how I know this. So, so I, I learned about LinkedIn. I said, I want to start creating. And I went to my father-in-law and I said, I want to start blogging on the Murray Group's website. And he said, uh, no way. You're not that good at insurance. I can't imagine you'd be any good at blogging. So uh, either in a moment of brilliance or, or, or – <laughs> complete idiocy. He said, uh, but you can do it on your own website if you want. You just got to let everyone know that you work for us. And I said, done. So I started blogging on ryanhanley.com, which is now a marketing site. Um, labeled myself the Albany insurance professional. I started blogging a couple times a week, two, three times a week. Basically, anytime I learned a new insurance coverage, I would blog about it because I was learning the business. I'd only been in the business for like a year and a half at this point. And we had a Monday morning sales meeting and every Monday we would show up and say, here's the business we wrote last week and here's where it came from. And I started to, over time, I started to write more and more business. It took me nine months before I got my first inbound call. Nine months. Nine months. Nine months. Yeah. Nine months. Let's just pause on that, man. How do you sustain nine months of effort without getting a phone call? Like, let's just take a reality check on that. Is that is that Ryan having a screw loose? I mean, how do you sustain that effort for that long with no with no tangible reward? I believed in it. I, I believed in it so strongly. I just knew. I knew I was doing something different than other people. I knew that it would pay dividends. I just believed in it. I just believed. It just. I just believed in it. I just did. I just, I knew, I knew I, I was helping people. People would do little comments on social or every once in a while I get a couple comments or if I was at a networking event, cause now I'm just working the local, the local Albany area. Every once in a while I get a comment from someone who'd read my blog and Hey, I read your stuff. It's nice or whatever. And, but I just, I just believed in my head, man. I just did. I just said, 
this is how I consume. I'm out there reading stuff online about mostly about sports and stuff like that. But you know what I mean? Like I was, I was reading stuff and I was like, this is something's here. I don't know what it is yet. I'm just going to keep doing it. Plus I suck at selling insurance regularly. So why not, you know, why not just keep doing this? Dude, it is the, it is just a good classic story. I mean, this is, I didn't have kids yet, but I was married and I'm grinding at like 9 PM at night doing these blog posts. Cause I had to sell insurance during the day or like, I didn't bring home any money. I was a commissioned salesperson. So 9 p.m. at night, I'm doing this. So uh, so finally, I get my first call. Here's the beauty of the first call. A woman calls me up. She says, Ryan, I've been reading your blog post for two or three months now. Um, I own a home. I have two cars, and I work out of my house, so I need, like, a business policy. And I said, oh, great. Um, let me get got her info. I said, well, who else are you calling? She says, oh, no, no, I want you to do it. And I said, well, I'll get back to you with a quote. She goes, no, no, just whatever you think is the best policy for me, that's the bet. That's the most competitively priced. Just put it all together, send it to me. I'll sign out your check. I just want to work with you. You'd already won the business before she even called you. She was already sold when she called because she had spent the last three months getting to know me as a person. You know what I mean? Because that's, she'd been reading my stuff for that long. So Dude, my goal is I don't want to have to sell anymore. I want people to call me and they're like, I want to do business with you. What does that look like? Let's talk about that, right? So that's a completely different conversation than, oh, my friend John referred me to you and I, you know, like, I don't really know who you are, but that, you know, I'm not selling on the phone. The calls that I was getting, these people, they, they had decided to pick up the phone and call me. They're 60% of the way there. I just got to take them home. So everything changed. So here's where the rubber really meets the road. So I'm doing this. I'm starting to get more calls, more calls, more calls. And my father-in-law, my brother-in-law get sick of that happening. So they say, Ryan, why don't you do what you're doing, but do it for the Murray Group? I said, okay. So in December of 2012, 2011, sorry, uh, I got full control of the Murray Group website. I did a quick redesign on a WordPress blog. This is like I said, 2011. So WordPress is still pretty generic at that point. Clean, simple WordPress blog, but I can now blog, right? I can, I can put posts up. I said like, the only way for me to get this thing going is like, I got to do something big. I got to make a splash because literally this had been a seven page website for like nine years. I think the website was created in 2002 and this is 2011 and it had been the same seven pages that entire time. So what I decided to do was um, I started asking every single person I bumped into, if you could just have one question answered about the about insurance, what would it be? Just give me one question. doesn't matter. There's no stupid questions. No too small, too big, whatever. Just ask me. I collected 147 questions. I pared those down to 100. And then starting on January 2nd of 2012, I answered every single one of those questions one at a time every day for 100 days in a row two minutes or less via YouTube video. So I pop open my cell phone. I, this is a five megabit non-HD Android Pro, which is literally like the worst phone ever. And I would hold it up selfie style and I'd say, hi, my name is Ryan Hanley. I'm a producer for the Murray Group Insurance Services. Today we're gonna answer the question, what is New York State short-term disability? New York State short-term disability is a man, but, and I would just barf it out. Minute and 32 seconds later, done. I trim the edges where you see me like reaching to turn the camera off, upload it directly to, to YouTube, publish it, put it on the website. And now I had that video on YouTube with my phone number, you know, my phone number would be in there and stuff. And then a blog post. Game changer, complete game changer. We went from 72 hits a week to our site 
to over 3,000 hits a week in the 100 days. Uh, my phone was ringing off the hook. Uh, it just completely changed the game for me. You know, I'm like way deep in this, but I'm going to give your audience like probably one of the most important lessons I ever learned. So six months after I do the 100 days, I've answered 100 questions about insurance, questions no one had ever answered online before in some cases. So uh, six months after I did that, that program or campaign or whatever, a company called Zurich, insurance company called Zurich, uh, cancels their New York State short-term disability policy. They just didn't want to write it anymore in New York State, so they non-renew every business that had that policy. So you, those people got a letter that said, as of your renewal, you have to go find another insurance carrier. So what do you think all those people did when they received that letter in the mail? They went to Google and they typed in, what the bleep is New York State short-term disability, right? Like, why? what is this thing that I am now being canceled for? Well, no one had ever answered that question online before, not even the New York State Department of Insurance. They had some information on the coverage, obviously, but never had anyone created a post that answered that simple question. I had to start giving business to other people because I couldn't write it. It was coming in so fast because thousands of businesses across New York State started typing into Google what is New York State short-term disability? And I came up first every single time. Completely changed my career, changed my entire belief structure around content marketing. I was, from that day, I've been completely sold. I preached it from the top of the mountains because you, if you answer, this is the simplest formula, right? I mean, you've had Marcus at your conference before, man. This, this is how I found Marcus. I was three quarters of the way through the 100 insurance questions answered thing, and I saw him doing the same thing in the pool industry. Now, granted, Marcus made it sound cooler what they ask you answer and built a whole business around it, and I didn't. But, but like the, the point is, like this works. This is the simplest thing you can do, and you never know which piece of content. I would have never guessed in a million years that what is New York State short-term disability would be the post that went completely ballistic. I would have never guessed that in a million years. It's the stupidest little insurance coverage. It makes you almost no money. It's, it's crazy. But this little coverage made me hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like I, I can't even tell you. It's, it's still to this day the most successful piece of content I've ever created in my entire life. It took a minute and 32 seconds to create that piece of content. And you just never know. You just got to do the work and you got to believe. Wow. What a story, man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you did believe you put in the work, you started tasting some of the fruit, started tasting a lot of fruit on a local level, and then eventually you graduated. You leveled up. You wrote a book. Now you're working with a trusted choice platform and you're continuing to practice the discipline though because this is what I like you mentioned the gurus and there's a lot of gurus out there that talk about the ethereal ideas but don't have to put it in practice you are focused on taking these concepts and ideas and applying them day in day out you are still grinding within the context of a specific vertical which has specific consumers which I love that you're still putting in the hustle. And each content, each piece of content that you put out, whether it be an email or a video, I get these, right? I'm on your list. I've been consuming this stuff week after week and I read it because it represents good, thoughtful copy. You still have that polish. So tell me this, Ryan, what is the quality component, the quality threshold for a given piece of content? How good does it need 
to be? Because you just mentioned a minute 30 seconds and you know, if I'm listening right now, I want to take that to the bank. Minute 30, no problem. I'll do it all day long. I know you said that something is better than nothing, but is that a viable plan with the content saturated nature of, of where consumers are at now? Or do the people need to create something more robust and beefy? And if so, how, how good does it need to be? So the, the internet is saturated with crappy content. It's not saturated with good content. So let's explain what good content is. So, cause I believe in content shock. I think that's crazy. So good content is not necessarily the Hollywood quality video or, you know, um, a well-copywritten piece of content, though, though that stuff does matter. I mean, there is a threshold where people don't want to read it or watch it because it stinks. Um, but uh, you you download a program like ScreenFlow or Camtasia, and you can create reasonably high-quality video, and you use Grammarly, and you become a good writer. So th that's not really a problem. What people care about is genuine. So what I was in those videos, one of those videos I did at 10 p.m. at night because I had to drive back to the office because I, I didn't have a setup at home to do the video and, and I had forgotten to do my video for the next day, which little side note, if you ever take on the 100, question, or 100 questions in 100 days thing, batch, batch, do batches. I did it on a daily basis. It was like by the end, I like wanted to kill myself, but the, the quality piece is, is about being genuine. So I, I roll up back into the office at 1030 and I got this hoodie on because I had forgotten, right? I'd gone home and I changed and then I was like, oh crap, I got to do my video. So I roll back to the office and I got a hoodie on. People would reference the hoodie video all the time. Oh, I saw the hoodie video. That was really cool. And I was like the hoodie video. And I just, I had forgotten that I, I had just gotten in such a rhythm. I had forgotten, but what people, but what people took from it is that I was more interested in delivering and being genuine and who I was and, and not in like a weirdo kind of way, but just in like, here, man, like I'm a real person. I'm getting this out. I want to make sure I get you this content, bam, get it done. And, and they, so they afford you those little, like, um, the, the little imperfections if they know that you're giving it to them in a genuine manner. So I, I really believe that for people who aren't, who aren't deep into content creation, being genuine is is really important at the beginning that that can really differentiate your content you can say the same thing as someone else or have the same topic as someone else but if they're doing it with this this corporate filter or this very stuffy filter and you're coming at it from kind of talking to them like you would through a conversation uh, it's it's really gonna it's gonna come through and people are gonna enjoy that they don't they don't need the New York Times they want you and um, and that's really important. And, and one little trick to, to, to get that is read your post out loud, right? If, you're, if, you, if it's tough for you to read your own content out loud, you need to rewrite it. That, I, I still do this today. Every single thing I write, when I'm done, I go back and I read it out loud to myself. And if it doesn't work reading it out loud, I cut and whatever I gotta do. I just rewrite, I rewrite that section so that it sounds good when I speak out loud because um, again, you go to the New York times for in-depth, uh, journalism, they came to your website to find an answer to a question or a problem that they have and maybe build a deeper connection with you and having a conversational style that's very genuine is the best way to do that. Um, you own the knowledge, right? You, you own the property. It's your property. You've been in the property business for some period of time. You have an expertise that's going to come through. Um, the quality part is going to come from being genuine and conversational in a way that 
uh, people can connect to. Ryan, I want to transition to the rapid fire section of this interview. And I just want to quickly go through some questions and kind of get some gut gut responses from you. My first question from you is, who do you learn from? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm all over the place. I do some of the tried and trues. I watch a lot of Gary Vee stuff. I read a lot of Seth Godin. I read a lot of, I've been doing a lot of like more um, study uh, reading. So like watching um, the studies that each uh, Harvard Business Review puts out, McKinsey put out. I'm kind of really diving down into the nuts and bolts. Um, the next level for me personally is um, becoming, going a, a, a level deeper with my expertise. So I have a certain level of insurance expertise. And for me to evolve, I need to become more. Um, and so, so I'm going a little deeper with some studies. You know, I, I just connect with a lot of people. And I, I'll tell you what, as much as people tell you it's a waste of time, I kind of skim through my LinkedIn feed and just find things that are interesting. And, and, uh, and I, I read them and see what they're doing. I watch, watch what's working, what's not. And, and just try to keep your eyes open when you're on the web, because a lot of times the people that are talking about the tactics, the people who really know what they're doing, um, very rarely are the ones speaking the loudest about the tactic. It's, it's good to just keep your eyes open and watch people. But, uh, yeah, so I hope that answers the question. That does, man. It totally makes sense, especially that last bit. Ryan, if there was one marketing skill you could wake up tomorrow and have complete mastery of, what would it be and why? Public speaking. Public speaking. You got to be able to, you got to be able, you got to be able to talk to a group. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like to believe that I am good. I am far from great or even excellent. Um, it's, it's the, you know, I, I love it. But if you can, if you can control an audience and that could be an audience and that could be an audience of three or it could be an audience of 3000, um, it's, it's very similar, but that ability to connect with people in a space, um, like that, it is a skill that when you, when you master it, uh, it's obvious, it's obvious. I couldn't agree more. I felt that way with Marcus. Yes. Speak yeah. 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 Great example. Time. Great example. He, he, he owns it completely owns it. All right, man. Last questions, man. These are these are one word. Let's do these quick. Okay. College or pro sports? Don't don't go indecisive on me, Ryan. College basketball, pro football. Organic versus paid. Organic. LinkedIn versus Twitter. LinkedIn. Not even a question. Twitter what? Native or embedded video on Facebook. Native. Native. Twitter versus Facebook. Facebook. Ebook or email course? Email course. Popover or scroll box? Scroll box. Kindle or physical book? Kindle. Great marketers, are they born or bred? Uh, bred. It's it's a completely learned skill. I was a math major, dude. There we go. Ryan, one more time, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. I know I got a lot out of this. I think our listeners did as well. If folks want to jump on your list, if they want to see what you're up to and learn from somebody that's actually in the trenches with this discipline of content marketing, where can they go to learn more? Go to agencynation.com. That's uh, agencynation.com. Find everything. I got a video show I do, podcast. There's the newsletter, tons of blog posts. And uh, I'm on all the, all the social media. You can um, find me. Just search Ryan Hanley. I've, I've pushed out all the other Ryan Hanleys, just like Highlander. So there can only be one. 
<laughs> Jump on the list, guys. Agencynation.com. It's worth your while. I'm, I'm literally reading these emails on a weekly basis, and my life has nothing to do with insurance, and yours probably doesn't either, but it still is worth your time. The content is that good. Ryan, thanks again for coming on. Really thanks, appreciate dude. it. Have a good one.